Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, June 22nd, 2023, the 883rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the writing, the podcast, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday, special counsel John Durham appeared in front of the House Judiciary Committee to give testimony on his investigation into the origins of the Russiagate hoax. So let's start out the show today with how the hearing started yesterday with an opening statement from Jim Jordan and Donald Trump highlighted this on Truth Social. Being it. He told us that not one, not one single substantive allegation in the dossier was ever 
corroborated, ever validated, yet it was used, used to spy on an American citizen associated with the presidential campaign. He told us there was no proper predicate for opening the crossfire hurricane investigation, and maybe most importantly, he told us the FBI, the FBI, the preeminent law enforcement agency in the world failed, failed in its fundamental mission of adherence to the rule of law. And unfortunately, I think once again, the Democrats will say, we don't care. It doesn't matter. We're never st going to stop going after President Trump. In fact, eight days ago, we saw how far they are willing to go with the indictment of President Trump. But frankly, this shouldn't surprise us. They told us their objective. In fact, it was an agent on the case of Crossfire Hurricane who told us what their objective was. We all remember the text message from Peter Strzok where he said, don't worry, we'll stop Trump. It started with the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Mr. Durham has told us how wrong that was. Now we have an indictment of a former president who's winning in every single poll by his opponent's Justice Department. And in between those two events, we had the Mueller investigation, we had impeachment, we had 51 former intel officials falsely falsely tell us the Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. We had a raid on President Trump's home. And of course, we got Alvin Bragg's ridiculous case in New York. Seven years, nothing has changed. Don't believe me? We interviewed Stephen D'Antuano, former head of the Washington field office when the Trump classified document case began. Mr. D'Antuano told the committee, interviewed him just two weeks ago, two weeks ago today. Mr. D'Antuano told the committee that when he asked the Department of Justice, why is there new, no U.S. attorney assigned to the Trump classified document case? Headquarters said, because we're running it. He suggested the Miami field office should do the raid. Instead of sending the folks from Washington field office down to Miami, how the folks in, in the Miami field office do it? Headquarters said no. He suggested there shouldn't be a raid. Instead, they should continue to work with President Trump's lawyers. Once again, headquarters said no. Mr. D'Antuano even said, how about when we get there? When we arrive at President Trump's home, we then call his lawyer and we do the search together. Again, headquarters said no. Another interesting fact, the lawyer who turned down Mr. D'Antuano's request happens to be the same person who is alleged to have pressured the attorney representing a Trump employee about a judgeship. Nothing has changed, and frankly, they're never going to stop. Seven years of attacking Trump is scary enough, but what's more frightening, any one of us could be next. So there's the big picture, and right at the end, he set out what the narrative theme for the day would be. We have a two-tiered system of justice. Here it is in full. And if we don't do something about this, the next target of this two-tiered system of justice could be me, it could be you, it could be anybody. Consider the last few years. In 2020, after George Floyd, the regime tried to start a race war in this country, and we had Black Lives Matter and Antifa out on the streets in cities across this country run by Democrat mayors, predominantly in regime-captured states, not all of them blue. There was widespread vandalism and robbery. They were rioting. They were burning down buildings. They were looting stores. 
They were destroying property, including police vehicles and public facilities. They were assaulting people, including police. And when they were arrested, they would immediately be let out on bail. They murdered cops. They murdered Trump supporters. And those stories weren't big national news. We weren't told that they were domestic terrorists. That word was saved for parents going to speak at their children's school board meetings or people peacefully protesting the usurpation of their government through stolen elections. Obvious to everyone who pays attention and has the character to speak up. And that was on top of the government overreach in government power, in locking down citizens into their own homes for the very deadly pandemic, a disease that kills one out of a thousand people who get it, all of them being over 75 with multiple significant comorbidities. If you disobeyed, you were shamed. If you continued to disobey, then the government felt empowered to use force against you. The government's been involved in censoring the citizens of this country. And now they're at the point where they are indicting, arresting, and attempting to imprison the leader of the political opposition. So the two-tiered system of justice is fully on display to the point where everyone can see it. Now, some of the people will deny what they're seeing. They'll say all of that stuff is good. Because Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters are just so evil and malicious and dangerous that they need to be dealt with this way. Otherwise, we risk our entire society falling apart. It doesn't matter if from their perspective, they see a two-tiered system of justice and will say it's a two-tiered system of justice. And we'll talk about how unfair it is that there's a two-tiered system of justice. It only matters that they can see it, that when someone else says it, they understand the claim that's being made. In their minds, that claim is questionable. They're going to say that that claim is wrong, but they know it's questionable. They know there are people out there who believe it, and they know there are a lot of people out there who believe it. Now, they think they're smarter than all those people. They think that when Rachel Maddow or Chris Hayes or the New York Times or the Washington Post, or for that matter, the National Review and all the uniparty right outlets, when those outlets tell them it's not as bad as all of them say it is, they'll believe that. They want to believe that. And because prominent people are saying it and because they equate prominent with smart, they will believe that smart people are saying it and saying it honestly, which means that when they personally are saying it, there is a smart case behind them. Not that anyone's going to ask them to explain it, but they'll at least feel justified in maintaining their position. Regardless, they know what the other side of the case is. They just think that side is believed by stupid people. And it doesn't matter how many stupid people believe it. The people denying that we have a two-tiered system of justice are elites and wannabe elites. They believe that this system in place right now, as they see it, benefits them, so they want that thing preserved. They will deny it, but they understand the situation, and they understand that the people on the other side have a point. Now, will they ever go to that other side and accept the reality of the situation? 
No, not necessarily. But all that matters is that they're aware of it. So when more signals go off in the future that indicate two tiered system of justice again and again and again, they will know that every one of those signals harms and damages their case. It makes it more difficult for them to maintain and defend their position. Some of them, as we talked about yesterday, will continue to do that. No matter how many times they are shown the reruns, they will not get the lesson and they will double down on their position just to fight back because that's the only option they feel like they have, but they still understand that other side is out there. So the goal of the hearing is to make it extremely clear to everybody that we are dealing with a two-tier system of justice. That's not the only goal, and that's not all that emerged from the hearing. If we take the big picture view of John Durham and assume that he is not simply a cover-up operation for the regime, I know that some people believe that. I have some very smart friends who believe that. They believe that Bill Barr chose John Durham, and together they helped cover up the crimes of the regime. They made sure that John Durham could provide a limited hangout and just make the whole Russiagate thing go away for the Clintons, the DNC, Obama, Biden, the FBI, the CIA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the DC deep state. They think it was all an elaborate cover-up operation. Any other interpretation of the John Durham investigation is in some way conspiratorial. It comes from Q. It comes from wherever. And the proof that that view is dead and gone is that John Durham didn't indict the entire criminal conspiracy of people responsible for the Russiagate hoax. So that is one perspective. That is not a perspective I share. I don't think that's what's happening, but hey, maybe they're right. Maybe we will never hear of John Durham or the Russiagate hoax, or any of these investigations ever again. I just don't think that's right. So recognizing the possibility of that, but leaving it aside, what else do we have? Well, while John Durham's investigation didn't produce mass indictments to bring down this conspiracy of people who initiated the Russiagate hoax, we're talking about tens of people, maybe hundreds of people. Could there have been more? I suppose maybe. That conspiracy interlocks with a bunch of other conspiracies all set up to destroy Donald Trump first during the campaign and then while he was the duly elected president and, of course, to destroy and demoralize his supporters in the process. That's a lot of people. It's not something you can just announce on TV and then just have happen. And if you were to do that, how long would it take to get through all of those cases? Would you have to start trying people on lower levels before you ever reached those higher levels? How long does each level take? A year, two years, three years, five years? How long? How long until they get to a Hillary Clinton or a Barack Obama or a John Brennan? To me, that has never seemed like the path. But that's not all John Durham could have produced. He produced an extensive report with the facts of the Russiagate hoax conspiracy as they have been laid out and as they have grown over the past, what, seven years now? Many of those facts have been known for a very long time, 
And so in some sense, all of this is just a series of reruns so that the public can further understand each time that all of this is real. You might remember, for instance, Robbie Mook, Hillary Clinton's former campaign manager, admitting that Hillary Clinton's campaign funded the Steele dossier. Now, the underlying fact itself was not really in doubt, but Mook testified to it in one of the Durham trials, and that was last May in the Michael Sussman trial. A lot of people who hadn't realized the Clinton campaign's involvement in the Russiagate hoax up until that point realized it then. And they have known now for the last 13 months that Hillary Clinton's campaign was unquestionably directly involved in the initiation of the Russiagate hoax and conspiracy. But some people had known that for years and some people just found out yesterday. John Durham's investigation has produced this information and it has gotten all of the facts on the record. So we had the two tiered system of justice being laid out. And then we also had the substance of Durham's report being laid out. And that part of the hearing was a disclosure operation. But even the most committed Durham supporters, and I have many smart friends who are very committed Durham supporters as well. I think that they are probably going to end up being validated in their faith in John Durham in the long run, but that hasn't happened yet. And they would admit that some of the most committed John Durham supporters will admit that that job is not finished. John Durham did not finish the job in full, but he may have finished his job. He may have played his role perfectly and then passed the baton on to the next person as the process moves on to its next step. John Durham got everything documented, all the facts on the record. Now, that is a very, very hard narrative to sell people who aren't in our mindset, our position, our thinking about how this whole process is evolving. If you are not someone who spends hours and hours a day on this material as we do, you're too busy leading a normal and productive life. And you're dealing with coworkers and friends and people in your community who might not think like any of us. And you're still tied in to the central narrative on some level. You get big doses of it from the people you're around. You can be pretty red pilled, pretty awake and still not understand what we are talking about when we say, oh, hey, John Durham's job is part of a much larger process. He did his job well, and that process continues. That's not going to please someone who's like, where are the indictments? These people are criminals. And those are the people who need to understand clearly to the point where they are able to communicate it to others that we do indeed have a two-tiered system of justice. And there is something about our institutions at large that is absolutely failing, if not already failed. Both of those narratives are true depending on one's perspective, and both of them are valid depending on one's perspective. They both lead people in the right direction. And by that, I, of course, mean toward further awakening. People who think the two-tiered system of justice is merely a rumor, see how real it is. Look at what these people did. 
Hillary Clinton paid for opposition research. She had her lawyer, Mark Elias, the lawfare guy, the election lawfare guy, hire Fusion GPS to hire this British intelligence agent, Christopher Steele. He made up some stuff. His primary subsource was this guy, Igor Danchenko, who was known to be, or at least believed to be, a Russian intelligence asset. He gave all this information on Donald Trump in Russia. It all turned out to be false, but it all appeared in that dossier. And that dossier was handed off to journalists, partially by John McCain. And that's strange, isn't it? Why was John McCain helping the Hillary Clinton campaign in their effort to take down and undermine Donald Trump in 2016? Gosh, that's strange. Over that summer of 2016, John Brennan of the CIA and James Comey of the FBI went and briefed Obama and Biden and Loretta Lynch about the Clinton campaign's involvement in this whole thing. And they didn't tell anybody. No one offered to give Donald Trump or his campaign a defensive briefing to let them know this was going on in the background. They got FISA warrants to be able to spy on different members of Donald Trump's campaign, all premised on that totally fake Steele dossier funded by the Clintons. They tracked Carter Page. They tracked George Papadopoulos. They set up an elaborate ruse to make it look like Donald Trump's campaign was communicating with a Russian bank. You know, they were colluding together to influence the outcome of the 2016 election. Vladimir Putin wanted Donald Trump to win, so he interfered. And that was proven by these little transactions that they were able to generate themselves. And then they kept spying on Donald Trump in the executive office of the vice president to cover these things up. They went and took down Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who was going to be Donald Trump's national security advisor. They did that during the transition. They did that on the basis that Michael Flynn lied to the FBI. And then they started the Mueller investigation to investigate and or cover all that up. That story is all on the record now. And if you saw that story being told yesterday and hadn't believed in the two-tiered system of justice before that, well, you probably would believe it by the time you listened to all of that. And then when you realized that justice had not been done, John Durham did not indict everyone involved in this conspiracy, and they all still run free, despite the fact that some of the most powerful people in both parties and in the deep state conspired to undermine the campaign of a presidential candidate and then continue doing that once he became the duly elected president seated in office. Remember what it's like to figure out for the first time, oh, wow, yeah, they really are just doing whatever they want and would absolutely try to destroy me if they needed to do that. And in fact, wait a second. Oh yeah, they have been trying to destroy me for years now. That's the sort of thing that'll wake a person up. And if we're talking about a standard villager, someone who is just going about their lives, they don't want to look beyond the walls, beyond the forest. This can be that dose of reality. So those are two perspectives. One, John Durham did a very admirable job. He got all of the facts on the record. He made his case and now he has passed the baton. 
And two, all of this is horrifying. Look at this two-tiered system of justice that cannot deliver justice for the American people. John Durham has just shown us that's not possible. Despite this vast conspiracy that he has laid out and detailed with factual evidence, Nothing's going to be done. He only brought three indictments. Klein Smith got off with a slap on the wrist and Sussman and Danchenko were acquitted. What a failure. But the thing is, none of those two narratives work for the other side, the side representing the deep state and the regime, the people who actually want to see all of this go away. The Clintons, the Obamas, the Bidens. The McCain's and of course the Bushes, because they're in back somewhere all the time anyway, but someone's got to represent them. And so what did we see yesterday? Well, we saw the Democrat members often deferring to Adam Schiff, who was the man who was out there on television every night for years, claiming that he had irrefutable evidence that Donald Trump had colluded with the Russians all of the Russiagate thing was true and that Donald Trump was an illegitimate president for having colluded with the Russians to win his election. The Democrat members kept yielding their time to Adam Schiff so that he could keep asking questions. There were a few different Democrat strategies yesterday, but all of them were designed to make it seem like John Durham had discovered in his investigation that the Democrats had been right the entire time and that all of this was an elaborate conspiracy by Republicans defending Donald Trump so that together they could all seize again all of this undue political power. They wanted to claim that the Russiagate hoax was entirely true. They wanted to convince people that John Durham and Bill Barr were working together on behalf of Donald Trump, which is the literal polar opposite version of what some very smart people on our side think. That is the opposite version of Bill Barr and John Durham conspired to produce a limited hangout designed to protect the deep state. The Democrats are giving us the opposite version of that. Sheila Jackson Lee spent her time trying to nail down her assertion that John Durham and Bill Barr were like best buddies doing this totally underhanded thing behind the scenes. And she could prove it because she was able to retrieve some of their text message conversations from 2019 before Durham was the special counsel that showed Barr and Durham being buddy buddy and talking about having conversations and meetings. She was like, oh, you talked to Bill Barr something like 19 times. And Durham was like, yeah, he was my boss. And she was like, you traveled to Italy together. And he's like, yeah, you know, still my boss and whatnot. She was legitimately asserting that text messages that had all the substance of, hey, can we talk later? Yes were proof that they were doing President Trump's bidding in some corrupt and underhanded, bizarro world version of their own two-tiered system of justice. Now, those text messages were particularly funny because one of them included a kissy face emoji. 
Barr and Durham sending one another kissy face emojis is fairly hilarious. But Sheila Jackson Lee was essentially laying down a conspiracy theory. These text messages mean that you guys, Barr and Durham, were hatching this little plan to subvert the entire government by going after Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden just because they did it. And then they tried to really lay down another conspiracy theory, that one involving a woman named Nora Danahy. This is CNN from September 11th, 2020. Nora Danahy, top prosecutor on John Durham team, resigns. Nora Danahy, a top prosecutor working for U.S. Attorney John Durham on the probe of the Russia investigation for Attorney General William Barr, has resigned, a spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Connecticut said. The Hartford Courant, which first reported Danahy's departure, cited colleagues who told the newspaper that Danahy was stepping down in part due to concerns of political pressure to deliver a report before the presidential election. CNN has not confirmed the reason for her decision, but a source familiar with the matter confirmed she was working on the Russia probe. So Adam Schiff and others kept hammering on this. It got to the point where I began to wonder if the Nora Danahy resignation and the reporting about that resignation was all designed to undermine the Durham investigation. And here we are nearly three years later with that little incident being presented as proof that John Durham's investigation was rotten from the start. The idea being that Donald Trump wanted John Durham to produce a report before the 2020 election in order to help Trump win the election. And that is exactly what John Durham had decided to do. Therefore, Nora Danahy, being the best person on earth, decided to resign in protest to Durham's decision to do that and to Trump's prodding Durham to do that. The problem, of course, is that there's no proof that's true. And you can see that from the beginning in CNN's own reporting in this article, a source familiar people familiar with the matter. Her quote unquote colleagues told some small Connecticut newspaper. Here's a quote. She's long had a very close working relationship with John Durham, a lawyer who has dealt with Danahy for decades, told CNN it would be extraordinary for her to have left her longtime colleague unless there was a very good reason in her mind to do it. Oh, how informative. But Adam Schiff went after this consistently. He really wanted Durham to just say the thing about Nora Danahy. Because if John Durham says the right thing, if Adam Schiff gets the soundbite he wants, then they get to run with a brand new conspiracy theory story on the mainstream media, shocking new revelations from the John Durham hearing today. Durham admits that Nora Danahy left his investigation after pressure from Donald Trump. Donald Trump tried to pressure the DOJ in order to help him win the 2020 election. Donald Trump is engaging in his own election appearance vis-a-vis the justice system in the DOJ. Therefore, there is a two-tiered system of justice to help Donald Trump. That's what they were going for yesterday. They thought they were going to get it. They didn't get it. 
Let's listen to a couple short clips and get a sense of how that went. Remember what this is all about. Let me ask you, the Mueller investigation revealed that Russia interfered in the 2016 election in sweeping and systemic fashion, correct? That's correct. And Russia did so through a social media campaign that favored Donald Trump and disparaged Hillary Clinton, correct? The report says, yes. And Mueller found that a Russian intelligence service hacked computers associated with the Clinton campaign and then released the stolen documents publicly. Is that right? That report speaks for itself as well. Mueller also reported that though he could not establish the crime of conspiracy beyond a reasonable doubt, he also said, quote, a statement that the investigation did not establish certain facts does not mean there was no evidence of those facts. That also appears in the report, doesn't it? It's the language of that effect, yes. In fact, you cited that very statement in your own report, did you not, as a way of distinguishing between proof beyond a reasonable doubt and evidence that falls short of proof beyond a reasonable doubt? Correct. As an illustration of this, both Mueller and congressional investigations found that Trump's campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was secretly meeting with an operative linked to Russian intelligence named Konstantin Kalimnik, correct? That's my understanding, yes. And that Manafort, while chairman of the Trump campaign, gave that Russian intelligence operative the campaign's internal polling data, correct? That's what I've read in the news, yes. And that Manafort provided this information to Russian intelligence while Russian intelligence was engaged in that social media campaign and the release of stolen documents to help the Trump campaign, correct? You may be getting beyond the depth of my knowledge, but... Well, let me, let me say very simply, while Manafort, the campaign chairman for Donald Trump, was giving this Russian intelligence officer internal campaign polling data, Russian intelligence was helping the Trump campaign, weren't they? I, I, don't, I don't know that. You really that don't know those right. very basic facts of the investigation? I know the general um, facts, yes. Do I know that particular fact myself? No. I mean, I know that I've read that in the media. And are you aware, uh, Mr. Durham, that Mueller and congressional investigations also revealed that Don Jr. was informed that a Russian official was offering the Trump campaign, quote, very high level and sensitive information, unquote, that would be incriminating of Hillary Clinton was part of, quote, Russia and its government support of Mr. Trump? Are you aware of that? Sure. People get phone calls all the time from uh, individuals who claim to have information like that. Really, the son of a presidential candidate gets calls all the time from a foreign government offering dirt on their opponent? Is that what you're saying? I don't think this is unique in your experience. Uh, so you, uh, you have other instances of the Russian government offering dirt on uh, a presidential candidate to the presidential candidate's son. Is that what you're saying? Would you repeat the question? Uh, you said that it's not uncommon to get offers of help from a hostile foreign government in a presidential campaign directed at the president's son. You really stand by that, Mr. Durham? Saying that, it, that people can make phone calls um, making uh, claims uh, all the time that you may have experienced. Are you really trying to diminish the significance of what happened here and the secret meeting that the president's set, son set up in Trump Tower to receive that incriminating information, trying to diminish the significance of that, Mr. Durham? I'm not trying to diminish it at all, but I think the more complete story is that they met and it was a ruse and they didn't talk about Mrs. Clinton. Uh, and... and you think it's insignificant that he had a secret meeting with the Russian delegation for the purpose of getting dirt on Hillary Clinton, and the only disappointment to express that meeting was that the dirt they got wasn't better. You don't think that's significant? 
I don't think that that was a well-advised thing to do. Oh, no. oh, not, not well-advised. Right. Well, that's, that's the understatement of the year. So you think it's perfectly appropriate or, or maybe just ill-advised for a presidential campaign to secretly meet with a Russian delegation to get dirt on their opponent? You would merely say that's inadvisable? Yeah, if you're asking me what I do, I, don't, I hope I wouldn't do it. But it's, it was not illegal. Uh, it, was, it was stupid, foolish, ill-advised. Well, it, it is illegal to conspire to get uh, incriminating opposition research from a hostile government that is of financial value to a campaign. Wouldn't that violate campaign laws? I don't know. I don't know all those facts to be true. Well, your report, Mr. Durham, doesn't dispute anything Mueller found, did it? No, our, our object, our aim, was not to dispute Director Mueller. I have the greatest regard, highest regard for Director Mueller. He's a patriot. The only distinguishment between his investigation and yours <coughs> is he refused to bring charges where he couldn't prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and you did. I yield back. Gentleman yields back. The now, throughout that entire five minutes of Adam Schiff's opening exchange with John Durham, he's trying to set out a bunch of different storylines that work in the opposite direction of everything else we know about the John Durham report and everything that the Republicans were trying to describe and to question in their exchanges with Durham. And if you just take that at face value, and you hear John Durham saying that Adam Schiff is correct in those certain claims, well, then the whole thing sounds very damning, not for Clinton and Obama and Biden and the FBI and the CIA, etc., but for the Trump campaign, a completely bizarro world reversal of everything we know and think. And for a lot of people, that can be extremely frustrating. They know that the essence of what Adam Schiff is saying is wrong. Does he have certain interpretations of factual circumstances correct? Well, maybe. Did Russians reach out to Donald Trump Jr.? Did an exchange happen back and forth? We're told that did happen. So you can chalk that up as a yes. John Durham says, well, that sort of thing happens all the time. People can call other people. The fact that someone has called Don Jr. and offered him this information that is designed to hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign, that in and of itself is not particularly shocking. If we were going to arrest someone every time they received a phone call with someone offering information, he would be arresting a lot of people. And then, of course, you have to set that against what was actually happening on the other side and what was happening on the other side. Hillary Clinton was literally paying people to go out and find information on Donald Trump, damaging to Donald Trump from people associated with Russia. And of course, all of this is being disclosed to us in this hearing by Adam Schiff, the guy who literally lied about intelligence that he had received as a member of the House Select Committee on Intelligence. He went out and lied every night to the American public on television, telling them that he had this irrefutable evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. And you may not have caught it. Adam Schiff missed it on the first go round, too. But John Durham was basically punking Adam Schiff during that exchange, calling him out 
for his own underhandedness. Mr. Term, uh, DOJ policy provides that you don't speak about a pending investigation, uh, and yet you did, didn't you? Um, I'm not exactly sure what when, when the Inspector General issued a report saying that the investigation was properly predicated, you spoke out in violation of Department of Justice, Department of Justice policy, to criticize the Inspector General's conclusions, didn't you? I issued a public statement. I didn't do it anonymously. I didn't do it through third persons. There were but nonetheless, you violated department policy by issuing a statement while your investigation was ongoing, didn't you? I don't know that. If I did, then I did, but I was not aware that I was violating some policy. Now, again, that's a shot directly at Adam Schiff, releasing information anonymously or through a third party. Adam Schiff is declaring as something everybody knows that the DOJ has this policy not to discuss an ongoing investigation, which means that, according to Adam Schiff, John Durham is somehow violating a policy or a norm, not a law, but a policy or a norm. And therefore, he's doing it to provide this undue influence. And he's a very, very bad boy once again. Their exchanges were very entertaining. The Danahy stuff, the Don Trump Jr. stuff, the you violated FBI policy stuff. Durham handled certain situations yesterday with a bit of sarcasm and people who aren't totally clued in about all of this stuff and haven't been following it over the last five years might not have noticed it. Let's just listen to that moment about Don Jr. again. Was informed that a Russian official was offering the Trump campaign, quote, very high level and sensitive information, unquote, that would be incriminating of Hillary Clinton was part of, quote, Russia and its government support of Mr. Trump. You aware of that? Sure. People get phone calls all the time from uh, individuals who claim to have information like that. Really, the son of a presidential candidate gets calls all the time from a foreign government offering dirt on their important opponent. Is that what you're saying? I don't think this is unique in your experience. I don't think this is unique in your experience. That flew right over Adam Schiff's head. But think about what John Durham just said to Adam Schiff. You, too, have experienced foreign actors calling you to offer you dirt on your opponent. That's pretty impressive. So when you break down that exchange between Schiff and Durham, does it really seem like Schiff just presented his whole case and John Durham agreed with the entire thing? Durham knew what Schiff was doing, but Durham still has a responsibility to answer the questions honestly. Now, that can be incredibly frustrating for people who are watching along with this stuff. And I remember this feeling. I don't really experience it anymore, but I experienced it all the time throughout 2020 and then maybe a little bit less through 2021. And then I just kind of let that experience go completely. But the experience I'm talking about is something a lot of people struggle with. And the people who struggle with it the most are those who are consistently around villagers, members of the unit party left, and to a lesser extent, probably members of the unit party right. But I'm talking about the people who are still combative when it comes to politics, even as we are three years into this period of absolute insanity that began with the very deadly pandemic. If you have kept liberals and villagers and the uniparty left, all those communists in your life, and you have dealt with their combativeness 
politically over the last few years, then watching an exchange like Schiff had with Durham yesterday would be very upsetting. And a bunch of the Democrats did that. They tell their story and they ask questions in a way that will elicit simple answers that allow them to continue on with their story. Some of them are actually relatively good at that, like Adam Schiff was. He can seem convincing because he'll portray confidence and he actually does know the underlying material well enough to be able to navigate through that and try to work it to his benefit. But some of those other Democrat members, they didn't know anything. They were essentially reading off scripts. And if Durham didn't answer the way they had expected to answer, the next line in their script would be a complete flop and failure because it wouldn't make sense following Durham's response. You can go back and watch that happen with some of the more anonymous Democrat members, the people you may not have heard of or heard from before. Some of them were really struggling. But Adam Schiff was not struggling, and that's why, of course, they would continuously yield their time to Adam Schiff so that he could continue answering questions. Despite how awful a person Adam Schiff is and how much of a degenerate and degenerate liar he is, he does at least know the material. And so when he does his thing well, that's going to be really frustrating and disappointing to people. Why? Because they know that the villagers, the communists in their life who are still politically combative are going to hit them with those sorts of things. And that's going to knock people on our side off their game when it comes to their interactions with these villagers. You know what the reality is? In reality, you should be able to slam these people all the time. But these people live in a false reality. They don't know anything true. They're not analyzing the real world as it exists. They are totally detached from reality. You cannot expect to win arguments or debates with them because they don't care about what's true and they have absolutely no understanding of logical argument. They're not thinking for themselves. How do you expect them to reason through a situation and come to a conclusion other than the one they've been told if they're not thinking for themselves. So there's no reason to be frustrated in these situations. You're not going to convince them. The fact that you are still engaged with them politically and are still being combative and trying to win is an indication that you have been wasting your time for a very, very long time. These situations are not complicated. COVID wasn't something that was just too complicated to figure out in the relatively early days. Does it take a couple weeks? Maybe a couple months? Eh, maybe. Does it take a year? Does it take three years to figure out that COVID was not a very deadly pandemic as they described, that masks didn't work, that lockdowns didn't work, that we didn't need a vaccine, that vaccines didn't work? That the whole thing altogether has destroyed society and pushed us toward that global agenda that the globalists are more than happy to tell us about. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. 
and it doesn't take three years. So if you're still arguing with these people, there's a chance that you are wasting your time. And I know what the rationalization is. This is my friend. This is my coworker. This is my family member. I need to try to preserve these relationships. And I agree. That is a good thing that good people do. It's just not the sort of thing that is so good that you have to prioritize it above the truth, above your own sanity in dealing with people like this. And you might say, yeah, but it's fine. It is worth it. I got it under control. All good. Well, maybe you do. But if you do, you should stop getting mad at hearings like yesterday and exchanges like the one that Adam Schiff and some others had with John Durham, because while they might have made your mission harder relative to that combative communist, your frustration and disappointment because of your own relationship and that exchange is not the same thing as the hearing going well or the hearing going poorly. Your communist friend's inability to reconcile with the empirical reality says absolutely nothing about how the Durham hearing went in Congress. Now, speaking only for myself, this stuff used to annoy the hell out of me because I wanted it to be clear that what was happening shows one story, not two stories. There's one story that exists in empirical reality. And we understand that story. The story was well rehearsed. The story is well outlined in Durham's report. I'm not sure that any Democrat on that panel yesterday actually read the report. They didn't really refer to the report at all. And as I said, they were almost definitely reading questions and a script that was prepared for them. But there is the set of facts contained in that report that have been known for years now, and they have not changed. Over the years, we've just added details. There is now more information to support those facts. The facts didn't change. We didn't have to adopt a new story. And we're not trying to prop up that old story by misleading everyone about the facts as Adam Schiff is doing. The facts are not on Adam Schiff's side. At no point does he address the fact that the DNC and the Clinton campaign were the initiators of all of this. They're not going to say any of that. They are going to put their best case forward. They are trying to tell a story to the public that will make sense to the public and get the public on their side. This is an existential crisis for Adam Schiff because he is personally implicated in everything that happened in the years following all of this as he lied to the American public about Donald Trump and Russia and what he was learning in the Intelligence Committee. Schiff and their side tell their story. Our side tells our story and people are going to fall on either side. That does not mean that the stories exist in this void space where the truth cannot be known. Adam Schiff is not telling the truth. Our side is telling the truth, at least in so far as we can know it from having followed these stories, from having known the facts, from understanding what's in the Durham report. And at some point, you have to realize that all of this is a personal issue. You have to determine for yourself whether or not you are comfortable and confident in believing the version of the story that you know, despite the fact that someone in your life 
will not accept your interpretation. They'll think you're wrong. They might even be mean about it. They might call you stupid. They might call you a conspiracy theorist. They might ask you the most annoying questions that don't mean anything. Like, oh, really? Well, if that's all true, then why did John Durham not indict them all? Did you get some of that yesterday? Did you get a lot of that yesterday? Do you get a lot of that all the time? I imagine a lot of people out there do. See, for me, when I used to get that stuff all the time, I was getting it from so many people at once that I realized, oh, this is just something that people do because they're trying to get me to be demoralized because that will make me shut up. And if I shut up and if everyone like me shuts up, then there's only their view. And everyone understands that their view is the only view, which means that their view goes uncontested all the time, which leaves them in a state of permanent and static rightness, which is exactly where they always think they are. And that's why they're so confident in talking about situations they don't know anything about. The fact that they are those people and then try to pretend that you are that person. Yes, It is super annoying. It strikes at your sense of dignity. They're gaslighting you and it's working. You're starting to think maybe I'm the crazy one. But haven't you already come to expect that from these people? Haven't you experienced enough of it? I'm not saying you should cut people out of your life. If they're important people to you, you should be as patient with them as you think the situation deserves. But you shouldn't just gloss over the fact of what they are trying to do to you and how they're trying to influence you. It's not good. It's not loving. You're not morally required to just sit there and take it forever. I mean, it's been three years. Again, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm just saying at least stand up for yourself. And if you don't want to embrace that conflict then at least do your best to not let it affect you. You do not have to adopt their interpretation just because the television sides with them. Once again, the television will always side with them. I know that we all want the television to side with us and tell them once and for all that they are wrong, but it's probably not going to happen and it's not going to happen soon. And it's definitely not going to happen Until the people on television have no other choice. But the good news is, while we are waiting for those moments that may never arrive, the people on television are so bad at telling them the false story that they're waking people up by accident. So just let it be. If you have some villager, some communist who wants to be combative about politics with you in your personal life, just let it be. Just be like, okay, Kami, go with that. Believe whatever you like. It is an amazingly effective tactic. Just tell them, believe whatever you like. What you believe about Adam Schiff and John Durham has no bearing on the reality of Adam Schiff and John Durham, and it has no bearing on my reality either. And again, as I mentioned the other day, They don't even believe it in the first place. You do not have to internalize this stuff and let it dominate you. There was actually an interesting exchange during the hearing yesterday that bears this out. 
This is Democrat Representative Steve Cohen of Tennessee and John Durham. Everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged. He's damaged goods. There's no good dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time. Sure. My, we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on, on how he feels about the pre- former president. Gentlemen, witness can respond. Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect and my family and my Lord. And I'm perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir. Well said. Now that is a child brain going absolutely ballistic and trying to cause damage related to one's image, to one's public status. He's going specifically after John Durham's reputation. He's saying you are going to go down in the history books as a failure if you keep doing what you're doing. Now, does that sort of interaction convince you that the Democrats were coming from a place of power relative to John Durham and the Durham report? If that's what you take away from yesterday, you're making a huge mistake. But John Durham's response was perfect. His reputation in the eyes of Steve Cohen and the people like Steve Cohen doesn't matter at all. John Durham is not concerned about his reputation in the eyes of the party of false decorum. That is what he's saying. I care about my reputation relative to the people I respect, to the family and to my God and absolutely no one else, including and especially you, Steve Cohen. He looked in his eyes the entire time he said it. That was a brilliant and powerful moment. You need to take that same stance with these people who are trying to gaslight you. If they want to think that you're stupid, you just have to let them think it. They thought masks worked. They still think masks work. You cannot allow yourself to be made to feel stupid in the presence of absolute stupidity. And it goes well beyond that because these people are liars. This is freshman congressman Kevin Kiley from California. He used his time yesterday, his exchange with John Durham to ask questions about what his Democrat colleagues and counterparts had been doing over the last few years relative to Durham. Madler and three representatives from California, uh, Mr. Schiff, Mr. Mr. Swalwell, and Mr. Liu, uh, have attacked you. Ranking member Nadler called your report a political exercise with ethical ambiguity. Uh, Mr. Liu uh, called you a partisan hack. However, it seems that they're taking issue not so much with the conclusions of your report as those of Mr. Mueller's report, uh, which concluded uh, that the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. That conclusion directly contradicted statements made on the record by those representatives. For example, Mr. Schiff in 2017-2018 made statements such as, the Russians offered help, the campaign accepted help, the Russians gave help, and the president made full use of that help, and that is pretty damning. He also said there's clear evidence on the issue of collusion. He said, I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy in plain sight. Mr. Durham, gentleman yield? are those statements supported by the conclusions of the Mueller report? Gentleman yield? No. Mr. Uh, Durham, is, are those statements supported by the Mueller report? I don't believe so. 
Mr. Nadler stated, it's clear that the campaign concluded and there's a lot of evidence of that. The question is, was the president involved? Mr. Nadler also said there was obviously a lot of collusion. Uh, Mr. Durham, were those statements supported by the Mueller report? I don't believe they are supported by the Mueller report. Mr. Liu stated uh, in a press release in March of 2017, the bombshell revelation that U.S. officials have information that suggests Trump associates may have colluded, colluded with the Russians means we must pause the entire Trump agenda. We may have an illegitimate president of the United States currently occupying the White House. Uh, Mr. Durham, did the Mueller report establish that we had an illegitimate president occupying the White House? Not to my knowledge. Mr. Swalla stated in 2018, in our investigation, we saw strong evidence of collusion. Did the Mueller report support that there was strong evidence of collusion? Not to my knowledge. Even here today, we had uh, Mr. Schiff uh, raise questions about your public statement uh, during the investigation, saying this somehow violated a DOJ uh, policy. However, Mr. Mueller himself made a public statement uh, in January of 2019. This is an article from CNN headline, Mueller's office disputes BuzzFeed report that Trump directed Michael Cohen to lie to Congress. So whatever policy there might exist in the DOJ with respect to public statements by special counsels, it would seem that you and Mr. Mueller would be on equal footing with respect to it. Is that correct? It would seem so. Mr. Nadler, Ranking Member Nadler also suggested that we're only here today because of the recent indictments of President Trump. However, you received your assignment as special counsel in 2019. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, 2020, the special counsel is in uh, 2020. In 2020. And was that before or after the events alleged in the recent indictments by the president? By the president? That was before. And is it customary for a special counsel to come testify in Congress upon the issuance of the report? This is my first experience of this sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I know that uh, Director Mueller had had occasion to testify before Congress, so I, I guess this is not unique. So it's pretty likely you would have been here whether or not the president had been recently indicted. Yes. Contrary to Ranking Member Napper's statement. I want to quote from you uh, a part of your report where you say, uh, there are reasons why in examining politically charged and high-profile issues, the office must exercise and has exercised special care. One of those statements you said is that even when prosecutors believe that they can obtain a conviction, there are some instances in which it may not be advisable to expend government time and resources on a criminal prosecution, particularly where it could create the appearance, even if unfounded, that the government is seeking to criminalize the behavior of political opponents or punish the activities of a specific political party or campaign. Uh, could you just expound on that a little bit, this idea that there are prudential considerations that may counsel against prosecution, even if there has been some technical violation of a statute? Sure. The um, standard principles of federal prosecution include, kind of as a bedrock, that um, you ought not to bring a prosecution unless you believe in good faith that there's sufficient evidence to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt, and the jury will convict, um, and that the conviction, a conviction, can be sustained on appeal. There may be those instances in which you're pretty well convinced that a crime was committed and can identify the person who committed it, but you can't in good faith say uh, a jury is likely to convict in this case. We believe that uh, a jury will convict and that we can uh, sustain it on appeal. Those are the principles that we tried to apply here, that we followed here. The same principles I've followed for 40 years as a federal prosecutor. What are you referring to when you, uh, when you say that there uh, might be additional considerations involving the perception that you're criminalizing the behavior of political opponents? Yeah, I mean, th these, are, these are difficult things. For example, uh, taking this case, 
I think all the members of the committee have had access to whether they took advantage or not. I don't know, but uh, we filed a, a classified appendix here, right? So there are some prosecutions where it may very well be that it looks like, and you think you can prove the crime beyond a reasonable doubt, but because of the classified nature of much of your evidence, it's never going to see the light of day. So that might pre uh, preclude a prosecution. Um, you know, things, things of that sort uh, come up that uh, are part of the prudential judgment. Now, that was a great and valuable line of questioning by Kevin Kiley. That went right down the list of claims made by three California communists, Adam Schiff, Eric Swalwell, and Ted Lieu, and pointed out how ridiculous they were and how they were totally skewing what the facts were, not only in the Mueller report, but in the Durham report and in, of course, empirical reality. And then there at the end, John Durham essentially says, there's a bunch of stuff I'm not allowed to talk about. There's this classified appendix. There's all this information that precluded us from certain prosecutions based on the classified nature of that material. And so it's just going to stay there for now. If you got frustrated by the way Democrats were handling the proceeding and you were feeling like your expectations of what the Durham hearing would be would not be met and you got worried about what the gaslighting communists, you know, were going to say to you as they were being politically combative, you might have missed that whole part. And you might have missed the last part of the hearing, too. Now, before the last part of the hearing, the hearing adjourned for a while so people could go cast votes. Now, what was being handled on the floor yesterday in the afternoon in the House well, they were debating and then voting on the censure of none other than Adam Schiff. Now, it is absolutely not a coincidence that the censure vote for Adam Schiff comes up on the same day that Adam Schiff is trying to change the story and the narrative on John Durham. This censure vote came up last week. People were mad at 20 Republicans who did not vote to censure Adam Schiff. They said that they were choosing not to support that because that censure vote came with a fine for Adam Schiff. And many of them said they thought it was unconstitutional or unwise to begin deciding and voting on how much was reasonable to fine one of their congressional colleagues. I don't think that is the worst argument in the world. Now, people thought that a lot of them were protecting Adam Schiff. People took it on the chin for that, like Thomas Massey in particular. Now, Massey is out there supporting Ron DeSantis, so I have no love for Massey at this point. But I'm not just certain he's a bad guy or anything. That vote last week on the censure that failed, that made national news. The Democrats took it as a win. People talked about it nonstop. That story went viral or semi-viral, at least. People had an awareness of that story. And a week later, we end up getting the new vote with that fine removed on the same day as the Durham hearing, putting Adam Schiff in the spotlight. There he is lying in the Durham hearing, trying to revise the narrative in the Durham hearing, trying to show up John Durham in the Durham hearing and getting shown up by John Durham in the Durham hearing the same day he gets censured. This is from Breitbart. Censures are rare and serve as the highest form of punishment in Congress outside of an expulsion. 
Only two other members have been censured in the last nearly four decades, including most recently Representative Paul Gosar for sharing a cartoon of himself killing AOC. And you might remember that whole episode. The resolution against Schiff stated that while he was serving as the top Democrat on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, he, quote, spread false accusations that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia, end quote. Schiff also, quote, perpetuated false allegations from the Steele dossier, accusing numerous Trump associates of colluding with Russia into the congressional record, end quote. And that's exactly what we're talking about relative to the Durham report. Adam Schiff went out on television and told the American people all of these lies about this privileged intelligence he said he had received that he did not, in fact, receive. He also read those same claims into the congressional record so that in the future, people will believe that those claims are all actually true because they exist in the congressional record. Adam Schiff manipulated that. Breitbart goes on. The resolution required Schiff to present himself in the well of the House floor while McCarthy read the resolution and for the Ethics Committee to conduct an investigation into Schiff's falsehoods, misrepresentations, and abuses of sensitive information. Schiff notoriously claimed, while in his position of authority on Intel, that, quote, clear evidence, unquote, that Trump colluded with the Russians existed, quote, in plain sight. Despite multiple federal investigations ultimately concluding that there was no sufficient evidence of the alleged collusion, McCarthy removed Schiff from his position on Intel this year because of the same reasons cited in the censure resolution. Schiff has never retracted his claims and said on the House floor prior to the vote that he would wear the censure as a badge of honor. He said, I wear this partisan vote as a badge of honor, knowing that I have lived my oath knowing that I have done my duty to hold a dangerous and out-of-control president accountable, and knowing that I would do so again in a heartbeat if the circumstances should ever require it. Thomas Massey, for his part and to his credit, tweeted yesterday, thank you, Anna Paulina, for getting this across the finish line to hold Representative Adam Schiff accountable for his lies. In January, he was removed from the Intel Committee, and today he's been called out for his unethical behavior. So Massey took the hit after voting against the fine last week and has now supported it and is expressing his gratitude to Representative Anna Paulina Luna, for bringing the censure vote back to the floor without the fine. The Democrats in protest gathered on the floor and chanted shame, shame, shame. On this vote, the A's are 213 and the nays are 209. With six answering present, the resolution adopted. Without objection, the motion to consider is relayed on the table. House will be in order. So they had a temper tantrum, just like your politically combative villager communist friend who's trying to gaslight you. Immediately, all of this was the story for the rest of the day. Media, this is the big thing. Adam Schiff, 
The Democrats have all got his back against this unfair Republican majority in the House, this two-tiered system of justice that's going after Adam Schiff. Donald Trump is starting it all, even though Donald Trump isn't the real president, blah, 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 blah. So while all of that hullabaloo is happening, the Republicans on the committee come back for an extension of the John Durham hearing, and they did another 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes. Just one Republican after the next. No Democrats in there. None of them continued to ask John Durham questions. I guess they didn't think that was important. This entire extension of the hearing would have been made unnecessary unless these Republicans wanted to go back in to question Durham and have things on the record. The Democrats decided they were done. They decided no one's watching those Durham hearings anymore. We've put on our part of the show. Just leave that to the Republicans. And so Andy Biggs and Harriet Hageman and a couple others and Matt Gates went in and asked John Durham questions. Now, Gates went after Durham harder than anyone else throughout the day. Any of the Republicans, any of the Democrats, Gates was making a display of how John Durham had failed the public by not getting the convictions, being unable to interview certain people, probably because those people were part of other investigations, being unable to locate a man named Joseph Mifsud. He was basically putting John Durham on the spot, despite John Durham's storied career in the eyes of some people, John Durham's status as a legend, John Durham's reputation for seriousness and integrity, etc. Matt Gates wanted to make a show of it. He wanted to rake John Durham over the coals. And all of this happened after the Democrats had already let it go. I'm going to play a little bit of Gates's exchange. We don't need to go through the whole thing, but if you want to hear that full exchange, you can find it on the information stream on telegram t.me slash very reasonable. Yeah, I, I agree with Mr. Biggs. You've given us testimony today that you're disappointed that the FBI didn't cooperate more, right? That was your testimony. said that. Yeah, so we're disappointed too, but the difference is when regular folks do things that are wrong and unlawful, there's typically greater effort to try to get those people before a grand jury to, to utilize criminal process where appropriate, not, not for other purposes. And it's just like, oh, well, Bill Prestep, the guy who might have set this whole op in motion, he just didn't want to talk to you about certain things, and you were real accommodating to that. And then Mifsud, the person who juices Papadopoulos to create this predicate that you find improper. You guys, you, I mean, did you ever know who his lawyer was, Mifsud's lawyer? He talked to his lawyer in Europe, not in, I don't know if so he wait, wait, You could find the guy's States. lawyer, but you couldn't find him? We uh, contacted uh, somebody that we knew had, had, rep had represented him in a, a part of the effort to try to locate him. And you got the lawyer. And then now you're, you're sitting here in front of the judiciary saying you could find the guy's lawyer, but you couldn't effectuate the service of a subpoena because you couldn't find him. Well, you, first you know of all, that sounds? as you may or may not know, we wouldn't have um, the authority to serve a subpoena overseas. Um, the lawyer didn't know where Mifsud was. He was in communication uh, with him, but he claimed not to know where he was. And we were trying to arrange um, an opportunity to talk to Mifsud. Did you take uh, possession of two BlackBerry phones from Mifsud? In any way, there were phones that were provided to us by. Oh, so you could find the phones lawyer. from the guy. 
correct? Do you see how silly this looks? Like you found the lawyer, you found the phones, but the actual dude who yeah. got ordered by Western intelligence to go start this thing you couldn't find? It, it, it's it's kind of laughable. It seems like more than disappointment. It seems like you aren't really trying to expose the true core of the corruption, that you were trying to, you were trying to go at it another way. Yeah. As we said in the um, report, and as I said in my opening remarks, <clears throat> we pursued the facts as best we could. Well, how about this fact? That we have. Okay, how about this fact, Mr. Durham? The entire Mueller team does a hard reset on their Apple phone in synchronization to wipe away evidence. Did you investigate that? I've read that. Well, why didn't, did you investigate it? Who gave the order on the Mueller team to, to wipe the phones? Yeah, that was not something that we were um, asked to look at, and we well, didn't. No, look that's at not that. true, Mr. Durham. That is not true because I'm holding the document that authorizes your activity, and it specifically says the investigation of Special Counsel Robert Mueller. It's in par- Mr. Chairman, I seek unanimous consent to enter into the record the order that says that you're supposed to inter- investigate these things. And so, like, whether it's the Mueller team. Mifsud, how about Azra Turk? Azra Turk, what's Azra Turk's real name? Do you know that? I'm not going to be disclosing the names of FBI personnel that are oh, otherwise unavailable. But, but an FBI, so the FBI sends somebody to go honeypot George Papadopoulos. Who gave the order to do that? I think that's beyond the scope of what's in the report. It's literally. So you get the point. Matt Gates is showing up John Durham. He's claiming that John Durham didn't get the job done. All of these people got away with it. It is all a cleanup and cover up operation. This is the two tiered system of justice on full display. Matt Gates was able to get all of that on the record, as were his colleagues with no Democrats in the room to object and interrupt and reframe. All of this is just basically free shots on goal. The hearing could have been ended in its entirety. They didn't have to come back. So those exchanges after the break were essentially just to put things on the record. And Gates got all of this on the record. This hammers home the two tiered system of justice. This is also the most animated exchange of the day. Gates is popular on social media Animated exchanges are always popular on social media, so this has the potential to get a lot of eyes on it, which means that what is said from both sides is going to be seen by a lot of people. This is how you insert stuff into a narrative. That's exactly what they were doing. Nothing could be more obvious because they didn't have to come back for this part of the hearing. Now, my friends who are big John Durham fans certainly did not like Seeing this exchange, the Durham report is more substantial than Matt Gates is giving it credit for being. It's clear that there are other investigations going on and that some of the information that John Durham knows and may have included in the classified report is not stuff that he's able to talk about in this open hearing. And he also understands what limitations were put on his investigation. And I'm not saying by the Department of Justice, by the government, by anyone in particular, just the real world limitations. He was not able to do certain things for real world reasons, and those things may be disappointing and may be frustrating to people, but that is still just simply how it is. Now, Gates is doing all of this to hammer home that two tiered system of justice, and he did it really well. Not every event 
that is effective for a narrative rollout is going to make us feel good about it. All that matters is the net effects, though. We can deal with our feelings about exchanges, the things that frustrate or disappoint us. What matters is the big picture. What matters is whether or not the events that are happening press society forward toward the awakening. That is the only thing that matters. So what did we get out of yesterday all told? The narrative about the two-tiered system of justice hammered down. That's proven to whoever was confused about that, who wasn't sure, who didn't see things that way we see it. They pay some attention, not full attention. They know there's problems. They don't know the extent of the problems. Those people could have realized yesterday, wow, this really is a two-tiered system of justice. And John Durham by himself is not going to save us. We also got the narrative that includes the story about the Russiagate hoax, the real facts about what that was. John Durham answered questions about his report, highlighting the elements, the important elements of that story. More people know that now. More people are going to understand that something deep and dark happened to undermine Trump's campaign and then his presidency and the Clintons, the Obamas, the Bidens, the FBI, the CIA, the McCain's, etc. were all in on it and people helped to cover it up. People on the uniparty left helped cover it up. People on the uniparty right helped cover it up. They all want to move on as if nothing ever happened because that preserves the regime. It preserves the deep state. The Democrats came back. They attempted to gaslight. They attempted to rewrite the narrative. They gave an alternate version of these facts and attempted to create new conspiracy theories that the mainstream media could run with. And over the course of the day, whatever progress they made along those lines was beaten back and refuted. And then we had the grand display of Adam Schiff being censured for exactly all of these reasons. So if your combative, villager, communist, quote unquote, friends try to come at you, gaslight you, just say, you don't really believe that, do you? And if they say yes, ask them some questions. They're not going to know the answers. And once they get upset, just say, okay, commie, go with that. Because all that matters is the big picture and you don't have to give in to any of these communists ever. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!